TAPTO 8.3.3, Neglectfulness of Being. This subsection is metasystematic, but is included to further clarify the central importance of being as a topic for systematic philosophy. Its phrase, neglectfulness of being, is a formulation more accurate than the Heideggerian forgetfulness or oblivion of being, mentioned more than once above. The reason for introducing the phrase is suggested by what is said in 8.3.1 about the theoretical operator. Because the theoretical operator indicates, and indeed discloses, being as a whole, being cannot be wholly absent from any theoretical framework. In many, indeed presumably in the overwhelming majority, it is tacitly presupposed and nowhere denied. This is generally wholly non-problematic, although it would be deeply problematic in a systematic philosophy, because any systematic philosophy, not including a theory of being, would be incomplete. Also deeply problematic, however, are theories that, although unavoidably presupposing being, appear to deny being. This is clarified by examples. 8.3.3.1, recent examples of neglectfulness of being. 8.3.3.1.1, paired philosophical examples, Van Inwagen and Lowe, 1996. Van Inwagen, 1996, includes the following, quote, if the notion of an abstract object makes sense at all, it seems evident that if everything were an abstract object, if the only objects were abstract objects, there is an obvious and perfectly good sense in which there would be nothing at all. For there would be no physical things, no stuffs, no events, no space, no time, no Cartesian egos, no God. When people want to know why there is anything at all, they want to know why that bleak state of affairs does not obtain. End quote. Footnote, speaking of states of affairs as obtaining or not obtaining, as is common in mainstream analytic philosophy, is an evasion of being. What could obtaining be other than being? End of footnote. By there would be nothing at all, Van Inwagen 1996 explicitly means that there would be no non-abstract objects. There would be, in his scenario, abstract objects, hence not the utter, utter absence of being, which cannot be. Footnote. Technical clarification of the thesis that absolute non-being cannot be is provided in 8.3.5. Lowe, 1996, a response to Van Inwagen, 1996, includes the following, quote, Suppose we could show that there couldn't be a world containing only abstract objects, perhaps by arguing that abstract objects necessarily depend for their existence upon concrete objects. What would follow? Clearly, it would follow that Van Inwagen's bleak state of affairs couldn't obtain. And yet, in a perfectly clear sense, this wouldn't suffice to show that it was necessary for something concrete to exist, or we wouldn't have foreclosed the possibility that nothing all, at all, nothing either concrete or abstract, might have existed. To foreclose that possibility, it seems, we would need also to show that at least some objects, abstract or concrete, exist in every possible world. End quote. For low 1996, the possibility that nothing at all, nothing either concrete, or abstract might have existed, is open if there is a possible world containing no concrete or abstract objects. That possible world would, however, have to be a possible world that would not only itself be, but would be distinct from other possible worlds, including the actual world. It would, that is, be situated within being and would not be, and possibly, the utter absence of being. 8.3.3.1.2 an additional philosophical example, Van Inwagen, 2008b, 2009. Other works by Peter Van Inwagen are among the relatively few by analytic philosophers that recognize 
that there might be a significant distinction between tactoterms terms beings, being and beers, and hence a need for theories of being. Von Inwagen, 2008b, includes a conversation in which a fictional Alice argues that being is a feature of everything, asking who could deny that everything there is, is. The conversation leads to the identification of being with self-identity. Footnote, a passage from Gerson, 1948, quoted above, notes that if any sentence of the form S is, is taken to say that S is itself, it is not taken to articulate being. End of footnote. The text recognizes, back to Van Inwagen's text, the text recognizes as a possible alternative, attributed to Sartre, among unnamed others, that being is an activity that things engage in, the most general activity that they engage in. Von Inwagen 2009's treatment of this alternative includes the following, quoted in part in Being and God, quote, If there is a most general activity that a human being or anything else that engages in activities engages in, presumably it would be something like living or getting older. It is simply wrong to call it being, and it is equally wrong to apply to it any word containing a root related to être, or esse, or existere, or toon, or ani, or sein, or be, or am, or is. One cannot, of course, engage in this most general activity, supposing there to be such an activity, unless one is, but this obvious truth is simply a consequence of the fact that one can't engage in any activity unless one is. If an activity is being engaged in, there has to be something to engage in it. End quote. As being in God notes, this passage fails to clarify being because it makes no attempt to explain the is of its phrase, unless one is, or the be of its phrase, to be something. According to the SSP, if one actually is, then one be being, and actually to be something, is to be being something. Perhaps also worth noting is that Van Wagen 2009 attempts to show, show that being is somehow superfluous or avoidable by introducing a fictional Martian language with the following characteristics, quote, There are in Martian no substantive, substantives in any way semantically related to être, or esse, or existere, or toon, or ani, or sein, or be, or am, or is. In particular, Martian lacks the nouns being and existence. There is, moreover, no such verb in Martian as to exist, and no adjectives like existent or extant. Finally, the Martians do not even have the phrases there is and there are, end quote. Wannenwagen's Martian language does, however, include the following sentences. Quote, everything is not a dragon. It is not the case that everything is not a god. I, I think, therefore, not everything is not I. It makes me strangely uneasy to contemplate the fact that it might have been the case that everything was not always I. It makes me strangely uneasy to contemplate the fact that everything is not identical with anything. It is a great mystery why it is not the case that everything is not identical with anything. As my emphases, italicizations in the text, clearly show, each of these sentences include a, includes a form of the verb to be. Being is thus neither superfluous nor avoided in Martian, and it would be open to Martian philosophers to introduce counterparts to being, beer, it be being, and it be being such that, into their philosophical languages. 8.3.3.1.3 An example from physics, Krauss 2012. A universe from nothing, a book Krauss published in 2012, 
presents itself as responding to the question, why is there something rather than nothing? That, in doing so, it exi exhibits neglectfulness of being is evidence from its assertion that, quote, nothing is every bit as physical as, as something, especially if it is to be defined as the absence of something, end quote. Any nothing that is physical is not, obviously, utter non-being. Nevertheless, additional details are worth noting. According to Krauss' 2012 quote, perhaps the most surprising discovery in physics in the past century has produced remarkable new support for the idea that our universe arose from precisely nothing. End quote. The text later clarifies this phrase, precisely nothing, as follows. Quote, By nothing, I do not mean nothing, but rather italicized nothing. In this case, the nothingness of what we normally call empty space. Yet later, this precisely nothing is supplemented by several other factors and becomes, in his words, essentially nothing. Quote, if inflation indeed is responsible for all the small fluctuations in the density of matter and radiation that would later result in the gravitational collapse of matter into galaxies and stars and planets and people, then it can be truly said that we are all here today because of quantum fluctuations in what is essentially nothing. End quote. This passage clearly presupposes that matter, radiation, and quantum fluctuations be. Moreover, what is first described as empty space is later said to be endowed with energy. As so endowed, it is, Krauss capitalizes nothing, and it, quote, can effectively create everything we see along with an unbelievably large and flat universe, end quote. And yet, quoting again, it would be disingenuous to suggest that empty space, which drives inflation, is really nothing. In this picture, one must assume that space exists and can store energy, and one uses the laws of physics like general relativity to calculate the consequences. So if we stopped here, one might be justified in claiming that modern science is a long way from really addressing how to get something from nothing. This is just the first step, however. As we expand our understanding, we will next see that inflation can represent simply the tip of a cosmic iceberg of nothingness." End quote. So, a universe created by empty space endowed with energy is not, despite earlier contentions to the contrary, a universe from nothing, and nothingness as a whole is a cosmic iceberg. Krauss 2012's cosmic iceberg sense of nothing, or nothingness, is, quote, the absence of space and time, end quote, but the presence of quantum gravity. And although the text asserts at the outset that all of its uses of nothing will be scientific, the following passage indicates that rather than being required by any scientific theory, these uses reflect what works for the text's author. Quote, when I have thus far described how something almost always can come from nothing, I have focused on either the creation of something from pre-existing empty space or the creation of empty space from no space at all. Both initial conditions work for me when I think of the absence of being and therefore are possible candidates for nothingness. The continuation of this passage indicates that neither of these candidates adequately explains the universe as originating from nothing. Quoting, I have not addressed directly, however, the issues of what might have existed, if anything, before such creation, what laws governed the creation, or, put more generally, I have not discussed what some may view as the question of first cause. End quote. The book's suggested answer to this question is the multiverse, although the book nowhere asserts that the multiverse is nothing. Instead, it says that, quote, in a multiverse of any of the types that have been discussed, there could be an infinite number of regions, potentially infinitely big or infinitesimally small, in which there is simply nothing, and there could be regions where there is something. The empty regions would, of course, be regions. End quote. The empty regions, regions would, of course, be regions, B 
Be that as it may, the book includes the just-acknowledged, just-quoted contention about regions in which there is simply nothing, despite having acknowledged that, quote, we don't currently have a fundamental theory that explains the detailed character of the landscape of a multiverse. We generally assume that certain properties, like quantum mechanics, permeate all possibilities. In order, end quote, in order to permeate all possibilities, the property quantum mechanics must, of course, somehow be. So, Krauss 2012, in fact, does not argue that the universe is created from nothing, even if create and nothing, the words create and nothing, are understood in the idiosyncratic ways in which that book explains them. Each of its senses of nothing is an absence of beers of some kinds or other. Each presupposes being. 8.3.4, being and existing. The words being and existing, or the phrases to be and to exist, are, in some philosophical frameworks, synonymous. As indicated above, in the SSPs, they are not. In the SSP, existence is the mode of being only of factings within the contingently actual dimension of being. This term is fully explained below. Thus, in the SSP's terminology, merely possible worlds and the entities within them are, but do not exist. One philosopher whose works includes one that, following works of Quine, equate being with existence is Peter von Inwagen. The difficulties that ensue, particularly in Van Inwagen 2008b, are instructive. The following passage provides a fruitful starting point. Quote, if one says of some woman that she doesn't exist, one has to be wrong. If the woman in question is there to have something said about her, then she exists. What one might wonder if, if the woman is there in a work of fiction. Sorry, that... That's back to the main text. The, quote, the quotation from von Inwagen is, If one says of some woman that she doesn't exist, one has to be wrong. If the woman in question is there to have something said about her, then she exists. End quote. What, one might wonder, if the woman is there in a work of fiction. Of Sherlock Holmes, the text asserts the following, quote, There does exist such a fictional character as Sherlock Holmes. He is as much a part of the world as is any of the short stories and novels in which he occurs. End quote. This is problematic at best because whereas one can buy copies of stories and novels wherein Sherlock Holmes is a character, one cannot acquire the services of Sherlock Holmes. This is a significant ontological difference. Moreover, Van Inwagen 2008b also asserts the following, quote, Words like dragon and unicorn are not names for kinds of non-existent things. Rather, they are not names for anything of any sort, for there are no dragons for them to name. End quote. This introduces an inconsistency. If Sherlock Holmes is as much a part of the world as is any of the short stories and novels in which he occurs, then the dragon Smaug is as much a part of the world as is the book The Hobbit. This inconsistency might plausibly result from a failure to adequately revise, given that the passage about Sherlock Holmes appears in the coda found only in the third edition of Van Inwagen's book Metaphysics, whereas the passage about dragons also appears in the earlier editions. But a compar comparable inconsistency emerges in the coda itself. That text denies that, quote, the maps that accompany copy copies of the Lord of the Rings must be maps of something, end quote. But again, if Sherlock Holmes is a part of what Van Inwagen 2008b calls the world because, it, because he appears in short stories and novels, then Middle Earth is a part of the world because it appears in novels, and Middle Earth is precisely what the maps accompanying copies of the Lord of the Rings are maps of. One might also ask the following. How could the maps in Lord of the Rings be maps rather than mere drawings if they were not maps of anything? 
Distinguishing between being and existing facilitates avoidance of problems of the sorts just identified in Van Inwagen 2008b. According to the SSP, Sherlock Holmes, Smaug, and Middle Earth do not exist, but each is within the non-actual world within which it appears. 8.3.5 Dimensions of Being Everywhere there be being, because all beers be or engage in being. But qualification is necessary because only actual beers be. Possible but non-actual beers do not. This point may also be put as follows. Every actual beer is actively being, is engaged in being. In terms closer to Aristotle, Aristotle, to be an actual beer is to be at work being that beer. For organisms, as indicated above, to die is to cease to be at work being organisms. Any organism, having ceased to be at work being an organism, no longer is or no longer be. Because possible but non-actual beers are not at work being themselves, their mode of being is derivative. See structure in being 463 and 471. There is, then, no beer at work being Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes's being is derivative in the first instance from the being at work of Arthur Conan Doyle, and in the second from the being at work of those who read or recall Conan Doyle's novels and stories, and those who present versions of Sherlock Holmes in films, other works of literature, and so forth, and those who assimilate or recall such versions. A volume of Holmes stories on a library shelf is at work preserving those stories and retains the capacity to present them. That capacity is activated when anyone reads the stories. These modalities of being, contingently actual being, for example, of the volume of Holmes stories, and contingently non-actual being, for example, of Holmes, require both explanation and supplementation. According to the SSP, there are three distinct modalities of being. Most broadly, there is the absolutely necessary dimension of being, and the contingent dimension of being, which can also be termed the dimension of contingent beers. The contingent dimension of being includes the dimension of contingently actual beers and the dimension of contingently non-actual beers. In some other philosophical frameworks, the SSP's dimension of contingently actual beers is termed the actual world, and its dimension of contingently non-actual beers the realm of merely possible worlds. For convenience, Taptoit occasionally uses this terminology. According to the SSP, because modalities qualify or determine true propositionings expressible by true sentences or sentencings, and because true propositionings expressible by true sentences or sentencings are identical to actual factings, modalities qualify actual factings. They are, therefore, being's own modalities. These modalities of being can be made explicit by means of a number of sentence operators, all of which articulates modalities of being. These operators include the following, with examples of arguments included. 1. It is absolutely necessary to lead the case that it's being. This is considered below. 2. It is contingently actually the case that there are parents. There currently are parents, but there is no necessity that there be parents. There were no parents shortly after the Big Bang, and the time may come when there are no longer any parents. 3. It is conditionally necessary the case that every parent has at least one child. Because it is only contentionally actually the case that there are parents, it is not absolutely necessarily the case that every parent has at least one child. Because, however, to be a parent is to have at least one child, the modality of the relationship is nevertheless one of necessity. 4. It is contentionally non-actually the case that Sherlock Holmes is a detective. Or, it is the case that in the contingently non-actual worlds presented in various stories, novels, and films, that Sherlock Holmes is a detective. 
Five, it is necessarily not the case that Fred drew a round square. Six, it is necessarily not the case that there is nothing or that nothing is. Footnote, introduction of these operators makes possible expansion of the theory of falsity partially presented above in 3.5. Any sentence expressing a propositioning that is governed by an operator that missituates that propositioning in being is false. Examples, it is necessarily the case that tap toe be, and it is contingently not actually the case that tap toe be. Concerning the dimensions of being, the most important of these sentences are 1 and 6. Both structure in being and being in God includes arguments include arguments from the truth of versions of 6 to the truth of versions of 1. A variation, a variant, is the following. By definition, it is possible for any contingent beer, and also for being, if all being is contingent being, not to be. For each contingent beer, it is possible that it be, and it is possible that it not be, so its non-being is possible. If contingent being were exhaustive of being, if all being were contingent being, then it would be possible that being not be. But being's not being would be possible only if it were possible for non-being to be, and that is not possible. Therefore, being is not exhausted by, that is, is not exhaustively, contingent being, so must include necessary being as well. Differently put, it would be possible for all being to be contingent being only if either it be being such that it be absolutely non-being, or it be being such that it be absolute nothinging, expressed a propositioning, because if either of these sentences expressed a propositioning, that propositioning would be identical to a facting in at least some possible world, and possibly at some point in the actual world. But these sentences, like the sentence Fred drew around square, do not express propositionings. According to the SSP, they express pseudo-propositionings, and pseudo-propositionings are not identical to factings in any world actual or possible. Such sentences are therefore necessarily false. As indicated in Structure and Being, Page 239, note 48, the sentence Fred drew around square can be analyzed into the sentences what Fred drew was round and what Fred drew was a square. Each of these sentences expresses a proposition, but the conjunction, what Fred drew was round and was a square, although grammatically correct, does not express a proposition. The sentence, it be being such that it be absolutely non-being, is similar, but somewhat more complicated. Its status is clarified by consider of the more ordinary sounding, there is nothing, understood as expressing the pseudo-proposition, there is absolute nothingness, or there is absolute non-being. What makes these items pseudo-propositions is the fact that sentences of the form, there is such and such, express propositions only if the such and such somehow is. Any such and such, however, that in any way is, is not absolute nothingness, not absolute non-being. But if it is not even possibly the case that there be nothing, then it is absolutely necessarily the case that there be being. Because in addition, there are contingent beers, hence a contingent dimension of being, or dimension of contingent beers. Being is two-dimensional, including both the contingent dimension of being and the absolutely necessary dimension of being. Footnote, because it is possible that the contingent dimension of being not be, the primacy of being is, more specifically, the primacy of the absolutely necessary dimension of being. End of footnote. The line of thought developing, developed in the preceding paragraph can be put more technically as follows. The te theoretical operator formulable as it be being the case that which, as explained above in various contexts, implicitly or ex explicitly governs every indicative sentence and each of its modal variants, so for example it be being absolutely necessary, 
the case that, it be being contingently actually the case that, and it be being contingently not actually the case that, each of those situates its argument within being. All propositionings are arguments of such operators, hence so too are the sentences or sentencings expressing them. Pseudo-propositions, however, are not arguments of these operators, but sentences can express pseudo-propositions. Those that do are necessarily false. The sentence it be being, such that it be absolute nothinging, expresses a pseudo-proposition, because the it be being such that, applicable in one of its forms to every sentence expressing a propositioning, situates that propositioning within being. An absolute nothinging can in no way be, hence cannot be situated within being. A final word on this topic may be in order. Such sentences as, nothing might exist, and there might some day be nothing, are of course grammatically non-problematic. From that it does not follow that they are semantic semantically non-problematic. Again, the same holds for the sentence Fred drew around square. 8.3.6, Being and God. This section is, of course, far shorter than the book with which it shares its title, so a reasonable beginning for it is an explanation of the major differences between the two accounts. A thesis central to both accounts is put as follows, in Being and God, quote, any conception of God that is not situated within, ex within an explicitly presented or implicitly presupposed theory of being as such and as a whole, and hence, obviously, any such conception presented in conjunction with the rejection of such theories, can only be a conception of something other, an X, that putatively does or does not exist beyond the world familiar to us, and somehow separately from it. But that cannot ultimately be made either intelligible or reasonable. End quote. Chapter 1 of Being in God criticizes as inadequate various historical and contemporary approaches to the issue of God that are inadequate because they are not situated within theories of being as such and in as a whole. Tapto includes no such critiques. Chapter 2 of Being in God turns to Heidegger, at the heart of whose thought is the question of being, and argues at length that Heidegger utterly fails to respond to that question in a philosophically defensible manner. Tapto does not repeat that critique. Being in God's Chapter 3 develops the SSP's theory of absolute being to the point at which coherence and intelligibility are increased by the introduction of the term God. Tapto presents a version of this theory, with minor alterations and in its different terminology. Chapter 4 of Being in God, finally, criticizes Emmanuel Levinas and Jean-Luc Marion, the most important and influential of those thinkers who attempt, in the language of the central thesis introduced above, to produce conceptions of God in conjunction with rejections of theories of being. Tapto does not consider Levinas or Marion. As indicated in the preceding paragraph, the most important way the SSP's treatment of the issue of God diverges from other treatments of that topic is by situating it within a theory of being as such and as a whole. A second divergence is also worth noting at this point. In contemporary philosophy, the issue of God is generally treated within what is called philosophy of religion. According to the SSP, this begs various questions and introduces various unnecessary complications. As is clear from, from for example, Plato's Euthyphro and Aristotle's Metaphysics, the issue of God or gods is, no matter what else it may be, one that can be treated purely theoretically. That is how the SSP treats it. Consequently, the question addressed in this section is the following. Does the inclusion of a facting appropriately designated as God increase the coherence and intelligibility of the SSP? 8.3.6.1 The relation between the contingent dimension of being and the absolutely necessary dimension of being. 
Given the preceding clarifications of the modalities of being and the status of absolute nothingness, the SSP's alternative to the famous, but for reasons just given, incoherent question, why is there something rather than nothing, is easily formulated and explained. The SSP's question is the following. How is the inclusion within being of a contentionally actual dimension of being best explained? There are in principle only three paths for exploration, and two of those paths are merely apparent. The first merely apparent path does not move beyond the contingently actual dimension of being, and thus leads, if it can even be said to lead at all, only to such responses as, well, there just are contingent beers. This so-called, what you might call a path that leads to such responses, is merely apparent because no such response provides an explanation. The second merely apparent path would lead to the contingently non-actual dimension of being, that is indeed a distinct dimension of being, but it is one that, as non-actual, has no resources that could explain the inclusion within being of a contingently actual dimension, and that, as derivative, cannot in any way be the source of any dimension from which it derives. The exclusion of these two merely apparent paths leaves open only the path to the absolutely necessary dimension of being. Because this is the only path, the questions to be asked are the following. How is that path followed, and where does it lead? The first step along the path, identified in the preceding paragraph, consists in determining the relation of, of the contingent dimension of being to the absolutely necessary dimension of being. According to both structure and being, 454 to 5, 458, and being in God, 234 to 235, the relation is one of total dependence. Why? First, to say that the contingently actual dimension of being is independent of the absolutely necessary dimension of being would be to take the first of the two merely apparent paths rejected in the preceding paragraph. What then if the contingently actual dimension of being were said to be partially dependent on the absolutely necessary dimension of being? Such partial dependence is perhaps posited by some accounts of a deus absconditus, according to which God, or one might say the absolutely necessary dimension of being, brought the contingently actual dimension of being into being and then severed relations with it. The problem is that no such account could explain the continuation in being of the contingently actual dimension of being. None, that is, could explain why that dimension of being does not cease to be. The thesis that the contingently actual dimension of being is totally dependent on the absolutely necessary of being, however, does explain the continued being of the contingently actual dimension of being. It is sustained in being by the absolutely necessary dimension of being. The point made in the preceding paragraph can also be put as follows. Being veridically manifests itself within the theoretical framework of the SSP, such that it includes both an absolutely necessary dimension and a contingently actual dimension, and such that the latter dimension is totally dependent in being on the former dimension. Challenges to these theses could be of only two sorts. Only of two sorts. First, it could in principle be argued that the SSP's theoretical framework would be concretized with greater intelligibility and coherence if one or both of these theses were rejected or altered. Arguments given above in this section at least weigh heavily against any such course of argumentation and perhaps even show that no such course of argumentation is viable. Second, an alternative theory of being, lacking any version of the theses introduced at the beginning of this paragraph, could develop within an alternative theoretical framework. Were this to happen, that framework could be evaluated at a metasystematic level of the SSP. In the absence of such an alternative theory, objections to the SSP's theory along the lines of, well, even if it's the best explanation you can come up with, it might not be true, are vacuous. The SSP's 
explanation is true within its theoretical framework, and as true, it articulates factings that are constituents of being. The next question is, does the total dependency of the contingently actual dimension of being on the absolutely necessary dimension of being make possible the further explication of the absolutely necessary dimension of being? Important to addressing this question is noting the inclusion within the contingently actual dimension of being of human beers as beers who are, both as thinking and as freely willing, intentionally coextensive with being as such and as a whole, and hence with the absolutely necessary dimension of being. The total dependence of such beers on the absolutely necessary dimension of being is, however, intelligible only if the absolutely necessary of being likewise thinks and freely wills, and is thereby intentionally coextensive with being as such and as a whole. Otherwise, what is intelligible to human beers would not be intelligible to the absolutely necessary dimension of being. The total de dependence of human be beers in their being cannot be explained as a relation to a dimension that is in no way cognizant of them. The previous paragraph argues that a non-minded, absolutely necessary dimension of being is not intelligible as that upon which the contingently actual dimension of being is totally dependent. What, then, of a minded, absolutely necessary dimension of being? Such a dimension would not only be cognizant of the contingently actual dimension of being, but would also, as freely willing, be intelligible as that upon which the contingently actual dimension of being would be fully dependent. That there is within being a contingently actual dimension is explained by the free willing, by the absolutely necessary dimension of being, that it be. In part because the contingently actual dimension of being includes human beers who make free decisions, the total dependence of that dimension on the free willing of the absolutely necessary dimension of being cannot be one of being determined in all respects. Instead, according to the SSP, what is freely willed by the absolutely necessary dimension of being is the being as a whole of the contingently actual dimension of being. This explains the inclusion within the dimension of being as a whole of the contingently actual dimension of being. Explanations of specific phenomena within the contingently actual dimension of being, on the other hand, are at least in the overwhelming majority of cases explained by other phenomena within that dimension. At this point, the following question might be raised. Even granting that the only way the inclusion within being of a contingently actual dimension can be explained is by its being freely willed by the absolutely necessary dimension of being, might this explanation nonetheless be false? The first thing to be said in response to this possible objection is that within the theoretical framework of the SSP, the explanation emerges as true. Because it does, it is the case that this is one of the ways in which being veridically manifests itself within that theoretical framework. The thesis that the inclusion within being of a contingently actual dimension is unintelligible and hence inexplicable cannot be situated within the SSP's theoretical framework given the centrality to that framework of the thesis that being is universally intelligible. This of course does not rule out the possibility of theoretical frameworks within which some such thesis could be included, but if some such framework were to be developed and presented, then it could be assessed in comparison with that of the SSP. Only if it proves superior would the SSP give way to it. 8.3.6.2 God Once the absolutely necessary dimension of being has been determined to have freely willed the being of the contingently actual dimension of being, and it has been determined, as for example in TAPTO 5.2, that for beers within the contingently actual dimension of being it is good to be, it is appropriate to designate the absolutely necessary dimension of being as God. To further explain this designation of the absolutely necessary dimension of being as God, it is helpful to introduce the principle of rank within being. 
This principle is the following. Again, the principle of rank within being, no facting can arise exclusively from or be explained exclusively by any facting of a lower rank within being. The rank within being of a given facting is determined by the extent of its sphere of influence, the latter understood as including both what that facting can influence and what can influence the facting. Given this criterion, rocks have a relatively low rank within being because, for example, they cannot be influenced by threats from animals or from human beings. Because of the ways they interact with other animals and with human beings, animals have considerably higher ranks within being, but because they cannot be influenced by such things as arguments, they rank well below human beings. The sphere of influence of human beings has no limit in that, given that human beings are intentionally coextensive with being, as such and as a whole, humans can in principle be influenced by any constituent of being precisely by thinking about it. From the principle of rank within being and the total dependence of the contingently actual dimension of being on the absolutely necessary dimension of being, it follows that the absolutely necessary dimension of being must be intentionally coextensive with being as such and as a whole and must be free, because if it were not, it would be of a lower rank within being than the human being. Once the absolutely necessary dimension of being has been determined to be absolutely freely sustaining the being of the contingently actual dimension of being, and thus to be appropriately designated as God, two additional lines of inquiry open. Following the first would involve confronting the many problems that arise following the introduction of God into the SSP. Prominent among these is the problem of evil. The second line of inquiry would require the crossing of a methodological watershed. The reason is that additional determination of the absolutely necessary dimension of being, or of God, may become possible through investigation of the contingently actual dimension of being as wholly dependent on the freedom of God. The question is, does the course of history provide evidence of God's self-revelation within it, such that the interpretive examination of history will make possible further determination of God, possibly as Trinity, possible as having been incarnate? Both structure and being, 459 to 60, and being in God, section 3.7.4.1, identify this interpretive examination of history, which could include interpretive examination of such historical texts as the Bible, as a task for the SSP, but neither pursues this task, nor does TAPTO. 8.3.6.3 The Principle of Rank Within Being and Evolution Biology, relying on its specific theoretical framework, treats specific empirical questions with specific concepts, assumptions, procedures, etc. Essentially is that it establishes that there has been development within the domain of animals, and that between the many stages of this development, there are similarities and dissimilarities. From this, it concludes that there are specific connections between these stages. Finally, it interprets these connections as constituting a history of descent, particularly human beings are descended from apes, or proto-apes, all of this is correct if it is governed by the qualifier according to the theoretical framework of biology. What that means is, among other things, the following. Within that framework, only certain questions are addressed. Other questions have no place therein. Among these is the following. How is it possible that such an ascending development can have taken place? How is this ascending development ultimately to be explained, particularly given that within it there are beers with enormously different rank within being, and, more specifically, different ontological ranks. The first and most central thesis that emerges in the SSP's response to these questions is the following. If a development to higher ontological ranks has taken place, then it was possible for it to have taken place. How is this possibility to be explained? 
First, this possibility was always a genuine ontological factor included among the entities within the contingently actual dimension of being where evolution occurs. Already in the earliest and lowest, the purely physical, stages of the cosmos, the possibility for developments to all possible forms and stages, including that for the development of ontologically higher forms, is contained as an eminent factor in the entities found at those stages. If this were not the case, then it would be a miracle that these entities develop as they in fact develop. But how is the eminent ontological status of this possibility of development to be clarified? The SSP clarifies it as follows. First, comparison of any evolutionarily pre-human organism with its sphere of influence with any normal adult human being with its sphere of influence indeed reveals that the human sphere of influence is greater and thereby that the human being is of a higher ontological rank. Ontological, that is, a higher rank than any other beer of which we are aware. But human beings, prior to their emergence in the course of evolution, are not simply absent from the contingently actual dimension of being. They are instead ontologically included within this dimension of being as possibilities, in that if and when the requisite complex configuration of non-human factings emerges, that configuration will be a human being. The emergence of human beings in the course of evolution is thus nothing like a teleportation from the contingently non-actual dimension of being, or from some merely possible world, into the contingently actual dimension of being. Instead, prior to the emergence of human beers in the course of evolution, there be non-human beers that have the capacity, in conjunction, to reconfigure themselves such that they cease to be when beers of higher ontological ranks and eventually human beers come to be. The span of time, whatever its extent, that precedes the emergence of human beings within the contingently actual dimension of being is thus a kind of gestation period for human beings. The same holds for organisms of all other kinds. Before they emerge, the contingently actual dimension of being was, it could be said, pregnant with them. 8.3.6.4, the SSP in Christianity. According to structure and being, quote, within the philosophical perspective developed here, Christianity is the incomparably superior religion, end quote. The SSP includes this thesis because Christianity satisfies an explicitly identified criterion, articulated in the following quotation. Only Christianity has developed a genuine theology, one that has satisfies the highest demands and challenges of theoreticity, end quote. The Christian religion thus provides the theoretician working within the framework of the SSRPP with a potentially viable starting point and potentially valuable starting point, and the Christian theology provides the theoretician with data potentially incorporable into its theory of God. That no other religion provides such data is an empirical thesis. If it were shown to be false, or if it were to become false in the future, that is, if a genuinely theoretical theology linked to any other religion were developed, identified, or discovered, then that theology, too, would provide data potentially incorporable into the SSP. In part because Christian theology provides data for potential incorporation into the SSP, being, the book Being and God envisages as the first central question to be addressed as the SSP seeks to further develop its theory of God by examining the history of the contingently actual dimension of being, the question of the degree to which God, as articulated by that theory, can be identified as the adequately articulated biblical Christian God. It also, however, explicitly recognizes the possibility that that degree would be insignificant. In addition, theoreticians working to further develop the SSP's theory of God could focus on religions other than Christianity. 
whether historical investigation will make possible further determination of God as articulated by the SSP, and if it does, how closely God, as further determined within the SSP, will resemble the God of any religion, are at this point open questions. A final remark is in order. It concerns the relation between engaging in philosophy and being of religious faith. As being and God explains in further detail, pages 281 to 2, the philosopher who, as a philosopher, engages in theoretician about God may or may not also be of religious faith, Christian or otherwise, and the Christian or person of other religious faith may or may not engage in philosophy. The philosopher who is not of religious faith may or may not be led by theoretical engagement with the issue of God to become of religious faith, Christian or otherwise, and the philosopher who is a Christian or of other faith may or may not be led by their theoretical engagement to alter or abandon that faith.